knowing that you can give your dollar multiple jobs and it's that's amazing in in itself but then when you are friends with all these people like everyone that i've interviewed on here were friends slash mentors of mine and i like firsthand saw how they use these strategies and then how their clients have used this and this is just a great foundation to have at your life whether you're nearing retirement whether you're already in retirement this could be an asset class to help you maximize your cash flow This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. In today's episode, I am uh, breaking down the and asset highlights. This has been one of the most requested podcasts out there. I finally took the time to make this happen. And if this is the first podcast that you're you're listening to, welcome to Better Wealth. Uh, we are very passionate about helping people be more intentional with the way that they live their life. And the and asset was a book that I wrote in 2018. Uh, pretty much because I was sick and tired of having the same conversation over and over again with people. But my story in a nutshell was I took over a bank's investment department when I was 19 years old. I got introduced to the special type of strategy on how you can be more efficient with your money by putting it in a special type of overfunded, high cash value life insurance product with a mutual dividend paying life insurance company. I know that's a mouthful, but when you do that, your money would grow very conservatively, tax-free the rest of your life. And it would then also, you could also borrow against that. You could collateralize capital to invest in yourself, your business, real estate. And so now you could get a dollar doing multiple things. And when I, when I heard that, I'm like, you're telling me you don't have to choose between future and now. And that was just mind blowing. And it was, it was something that I started using in my own life. And then I learned how this could show up powerfully in retirement. And then I, and then I saw firsthand how this could um, be a powerful legacy tool and a protection tool. And then, and then you, you look at, you people are saving more money. Our, our clients are, are able to save so much more money because they understand how to use this. And ultimately, it gets you thinking that you are your greatest asset. And so I've had many people that are like, Caleb, love your book, um, which by the way, you can go to andasset.com to get a free copy of my book, or you can check out a lot of info. We have a financial assessment. We have a lot of videos. Our company is called Better Wealth, and so you can go to betterwealth.com. That's betterwealth.com to find out more information. Take your free financial assessment. We have a lot of good things there. But anyways, a lot of people would be like, Caleb, I want to learn more about the AND asset. Where can I start? Because I know you have a podcast. You have over 100 episodes. Where do I begin? And I almost want to say, jokingly, I'm like, how many hours do you want to spend? Because I've had some of the best of the best that could speak into this strategy on my show because most of them were my mentors. And, and so a lot of them have different perspectives. And so what I ended up doing is I took sound bites, which we know the, the, the danger of, of sound bites. I took sound bites from some of my favorite episodes and included them in this one episode for, for you to begin so you can kind of get an overview, a high picture overview of the strategy and some of the people that I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing and learning from. And then my hope is that you can learn more information or you can um, reach out to our company and we would love to help you implement the strategy in your life. It, it comes down to taking back control over your money. And so real quick, I, I, I had to whittle this down to 10 people. There's so many people that I want to include in here, so many sound bites that I wanted to 
include, but I didn't want this to be a five-hour episode. So before we jump in, I'm going to give an overview of the 10 uh, episodes that I chose from. And like I said, this was so difficult because there's so many great people that I could choose from, so many great concepts. But again, I didn't want this to be a five-hour long podcast. And so here are the 10. I'll give a quick overview, and then I'm going to go straight into to them, and I hope you enjoy. So we first are starting off with R. Nelson Nash, the founder of Becoming Your Own Banking, the infinite banking concept. This guy's a legend. Um, he's so fun to talk to and quite frankly, frustrating to interview because he has so many stories, so many parables. Uh, the funny story was I actually came to Birmingham, spent two hours with him talking so that we could get all the stories out so I could get a concise uh, answers from him in the podcast. And he still talked a lot, which I love. And uh, so I asked him straight up what infinite banking really means. And you'll hear that. And by the way, this would have not happened. Like I would not be talking to you. None of these people that I've talked to would have would have had their mindset if it wasn't for Nelson. And he passed away in 2019. And so it just shares with you how grateful I am for people that put their work and put their legacy out there for people like me to to listen to and to take advantage of. The second uh, person that we're going to hear from is Todd Langford. Todd uh, runs a company called Truth Concepts, very passionate about truth and math and how um, all that comes into play. And he talks about the and asset. He looks at the math between why the and asset works and also breaks down opportunity cost, which is an amazing concept. And I would love for you to learn more and understand that more. Then we're looking at Garrett Gunderson. And Garrett is the author of many best-selling books, but we're, we're just talking about what would the Rockefeller book do. And this is based on the and asset and this concept. Then we sit down with Rebecca Walser, who's a tax attorney who's talking about taxes and why she believes that taxes are going to go way up and and quite frankly knowing that if if your money's in life insurance your money's exempt off the radar screen the irs some people just from that fact alone want to put some if not all their money into contracts like this to shield their money from future taxation then we have an uh, we're sitting down with kim butler and kim butler is uh, a, a mentor a great friend and and she runs the prosperity economics movement and she has seven principles of prosperity and we're talking about principle five six and seven and she does a great job breaking that down then we're um so let her hearing from patrick donahoe who's the founder of a company called paradigm life and also uh, the author of a book called heads i win tales you lose and he talks about this strategy in the book and, and talks about the importance of controlling your money, that you are your number one asset, but then also the difference between saving your money and investing. And it's, it's, a, it's a great clip. Then we're going to hear from Jason Lowe and, and, and strap on your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because this guy has a ton of energy. He's uh, my good friend in, in Canada, and we're actually co-writing a book for the and asset for Canadians and anyone who's in Canada that wants to work with us, I, I ha send them to Jason. He's incredible. And uh, so you can hear directly from him. He talks about uh, the infinite banking concept and how he uses it in his practice. Then we're sitting down with Peter Jepson. Now this guy, talk about a lot of energy. Peter is, has been in the business over 50 years been in the business helping people with their money for over 50 years he talks about why he's a huge fan of life insurance and the living benefits associated with it then we're going to sit down with brian bloom who wrote a book on why life insurance is an amazing asset in retirement he's corrected me many times in this interview i kept on saying income he said caleb it's not income it's cash flow cash flow that's not reported as income and it's just a, a powerful asset class to own in the future and he also has a series called Confessions of a CPA, 
Uh, it's a great, great, great series and great podcast. And there's a good clip on the importance of this in retirement. And then finally, we're ending with Greg Helema, who's a great friend of mine, who, like a second father, who helped me start Better Wealth and ended up losing his life to cancer. And we had this interview when he had cancer. He explained the peace of mind and what he did in a nutshell. We It was a two-minute clip on what he did in planning um for his family and how he used the policy to really uh, end his life powerfully financially and then also um, just really intentionally. So there's a lot of things that I want to say, but I'm just filled with gratitude when I'm just looking at this list and just thinking about all the people that I've been able to learn from. And so if you have any questions, you can go to betterwealth.com. It's betterwealth.com. And please take notes. Please have an open mind when you're listening to this. Without further ado, Nelson Nash, episode four. So for the listeners on this podcast that like, okay, they get they get the concept, they understand, okay, banking is the most profitable business in the world. We finance everything that we purchase. We need to start taking the headwinds in our life and turning it into tailwinds. True. We have to beat the human elements that are taking us behind. We have to take control of our life. True. Then you kind of get into some things that kind of are controversial. I, By the way, when I first started in this business, I hated the idea of life insurance. And it was because of your book that totally changed my... Well, why did you hate it? Because I, I thought it was a terrible place to put your money. Where did money. you learn that? The, in, in financial planning um, 101. Yeah. Yes. That life insurance was our need for death benefit. So, for the listeners, this is, this is what the infinite banking concept is at, at, at its basic form. And then I want you to kind of take, take over, okay, and mm-hmm. explain more. So, you have your, your money. Your money's got to flow somewhere. Yes. It, it, the very best place for it to flow is dividend-paying whole life insurance. It's always at work there. And I want you to explain that it's for a second. It's always at so work your, there. So your money is in these dividend-paying contracts. They're going to grow the rest of your life. Yeah. But your your need for finance is your greatest financial need, and so you borrow against that those policies to go purchase the things in your life sure. and then redirect the money that you were paying to other institutions and repay that back to the insurance company. Can you can you explain why life insurance and why that concept is so revolutionary and can change people's lives? It's the only place uh, that performs uh, ideally for this sort of thing. Well, you know, you can uh, put money uh, in a hole in the ground, not in the backyard, uh, so forth, and uh, you can uh, go get money out of that buy something and then pay back to the hole in the ground. But look, the time that it was in the ground, how much is it earning, huh? Zero. Well, uh, in life insurance, it's always at work, either with you or with somebody else out Mm -hmm. there. Uh, It's not something sitting there in a lockbox of any kind of uh, whatever. Uh, People don't realize that uh, uh, in reality that... uh, uh, this concept is like um, a trust agreement. Uh, people love the idea of trust and so forth. And uh, one of our practitioners uh, visualized this uh, several years ago. He says, this is just like a trust, isn't it? Yes. Uh, he says, you have a grantor, you have a trustee, and you have a beneficiary. Now, the uh, trust did not exist until the grantor created it. Hmm. He was the originator of everything. All right, so uh, uh, he uh, 
puts property into the trust, it becomes the the uh, on, the owner becomes the owner is the trustee at that point. The the grantor does not own it anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, now the trustee has got to put it to work uh, in order to carry out the provisions of the uh, intent of the trust uh, for the beneficiary or the uh, uh, grantor. Now, one of the places he can put the property to work is with the uh, grantor. Right. Uh, they're two different people. Now, uh, when you understand that, when you buy a life insurance policy, that did not exist until you created it. Right. You're the grantor. You pay premiums. Mm-hmm. That becomes the property of the insurance company, the trustee. They're going to put it to work in various and sundry places, as right. I describe in my book. Uh, now, one of those places they can put to work is with you. Right. Uh, you see, you got to learn to wear two hats. Uh, you're the banker, and uh, your best customer ought to be you. Correct. And, but, you know, you've got to understand, don't steal from the system. Right. If you don't lend uh, money to somebody who's going to, not pay it back. Mm-hmm. But see, that's one of the biggest problems out there that people got this disease of thinking this is a poor place to store uh, money, uh, the medium of exchange, uh, during your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting over that hurdle is the biggest problem. Right. Well, it's so simple that uh, it's it's almost ridiculous. Uh, but is it there are people who do catch on out there, but they got to be, they got to realize they have a problem. Right. They got to warn them. Yep. Uh, and uh, we're looking for people that know they have a problem and they want to find a way out. Todd Langford, Episode 7. The idea of the, the, the and asset is is the idea, in fact, I think um, probably Vince Dodona is one place I probably heard that the first time. So <laughs> there you go. But, but it's the idea that it's, it's a matter of order with our, with our assets. And if we will route money through the life insurance policy, so as long as we go there first, we can do that and because the, because the money is accessible, we can do real estate or we can put money in the market or other things that we want to do. But if we start with those other assets, which are really or assets, we don't have a choice to do anything else with them. If I park money in real estate, I put it there or I put it somewhere else or I put it somewhere else. But the life insurance, we can do both because the life insurance is not an investment. And I think many people look at it as, oh, it's got a poor rate of return in the investment world. Well, one thing is they're comparing the wrong things. They're pairing typically the gross returns of their investment against the net returns, as you mentioned earlier, of the life insurance contract. But the funding calculator helps us bring that into equivalent yields, like you said, by bringing taxes and other things. But the reality is, the big picture is life insurance is a savings vehicle. That's really what it is. It's not an investment tool. It's a place to store cash. And when we look at that and understand what we're comparing assets to, I mean, everybody has a savings account for their for their uh, emergency opportunity funds, right? right? Ideally, we'd like to think of it as opportunity rather than the emergency side. But when we look at it in light of that, 
the whole prepared to what question comes really into play. Well, how does the life insurance policy does so much better than those those type of assets when we compare like assets to like assets? Yeah, I'm I'm yet to see, and this is this interview is done in 2018. No one's got a savings or checking account that gets an equivalent of a four <laughs> percent tax free. And and when when it's in light of this is not an or investment, this yeah. is an and asset that's that is very much like a savings account. It totally changes the game. And and this is another. I'm getting into things that I don't really talk about. I was a very, I was a big skeptic to the industry. I, I'm, I was at 19. I was really like, what am I going to do with my life? I, I, I know I want to do something and go all in. And after your presentation, watching your videos, that's when the light bulb went on. And I said, you know, I, I, this is actually like, I get it. And this is one of the most powerful, profound things. Wow. And to the point that I wrote my first book off that concept because I, that that changed that really changed the way that I started thinking about how money works. So there has to be some balance between the rate of return and how much savings I have. And and we're focused too much, I think, in society right now on rate of return is because people don't want to save. And we've got to have the savings portion. But who wants to reduce lifestyle? You know, nobody does. And so what we need to do is really look and find out where we're wasting money. And any of that money that we're wasting through unnecessary loan rates or wherever that is, unnecessary taxes, maybe we're paying more tax than we should. If we can start to route that back to our side of the table, then it'll make that saving side a lot easier. But we need we need a vehicle to hold that money. And the life insurance policy becomes a great tool for that. Yeah, and how would you explain opportunity costs to someone that doesn't have any context. Well, and, and that's a difficult, difficult concept because many times when we talk about opportunity costs, the idea behind it is, you know, if we waste a dollar, it didn't just cost us the dollar, it costs us the dollar plus the loss of growth from now on. Well, when you talk about it in those terms, people tend to kind of look at it as, yeah, it's kind of phantom money because I didn't have the money, so I didn't save it, so I really didn't lose it. Well, it's it is real money, and that's a hard thing to, to, to comprehend. The thing about it is when we net money from an asset, people can see it, and that's what happens. If we look at an asset and we see that it grows to X amount over time, but if we take the taxes out of the account, the numbers at the end are not going to be just less the amount of money we took out, but they're going to be less the money we took out plus the growth. And so that's where it starts to be able to show the idea of opportunity cost. People can understand it when it's netted out of account right. versus trying to uh, put a cost on something that's, that's, that's paid out of pocket. That's just a difficult thing. And what we see with maximum potential, typically, if we're looking over a 30-year time frame, while we might have taken, paid, you know, let's say it was a half million dollars in, in some form of tax over the 30 years, the result is it's going to take at least a million dollars away from the asset. So it's going to be more than double the cost of that asset over time. So it's hugely impactful, yet a difficult thing for people to understand, I think. It's super impactful because, again, another thing is a lot of people have a hard time seeing their potential. And it's like, okay, it's not only like it, it shakes you up. It's like, okay, I, you spent $300,000 on taxes, but it ate up x way more than 300,000 but it also shows them like listen you, you with with where you're currently at if you understand this there is hope yeah, and absolutely that's like, like we should call it the hope calculator <laughs> it, yeah and that's exactly right and i think it brings people to the table to understand too 
you know, one of their greatest and best assets is the one they take, a, take for, for granted more than any other, and that's their ability to earn an income. And when you start to see, man, this is how much money is passing through your hands potentially over the next 30 years. This is what that, if you know, this is what the, the maximum amount potential that is if you were able to grow that money. So let's stop wasting and figure out how to plug some of those holes. Garrett Gunderson, episode 54. If you had one minute with someone to give your philosophy, what would that be? In one minute, it's let, let's keep more of what you make first, right? How, and then with that money that you become more efficient with, make more money by investing back in yourself so you could expand your means. And then really start to focus on what quality of life means to you and how you can live wealthy along the way. And that you begin to live your legacy by how you show up, not just by what you leave. So you retire this notion of retirement. Instead, create a life that you love and have your finances support that because you're economically and financially independent because you're not waiting for 30 years for compound interest to kick in. You're finding money now in cash flow today so that you can there within three to seven years. 50% of this yeah. book is really why overfunded life insurance can be a great tool for anyone, regardless of where you're at in life, to start out. Something that Rockefellers have used is insurance as a tool to build up a way to replenish their trusts over time. So that every time an heir dies, money comes back in tax-free to being able to have cash to use for other things. Um, it's been instrumental for them. In the book, I also talk about other things you could do for legacy, whether you have money or not, which has to do with how you invest in your heirs and your family and the way that you think about it. And so I think that's useful as well. But even though the title has the most sophisticated thought, you know, like Rockefeller, that sounds really big. It's actually meant for the masses where killing sacred cows if you're not entrepreneurial, it won't be as helpful. If you're not willing to be entrepreneurial, it won't be quite as helpful. Or five-day weekend, that's pretty comprehensive, right? Um, on five-day weekend, it goes into some real detail on how different things work with investing, where this is just like a one-trick pony that is very much my never-fail-me strategy. So you know, if you, you'll, you'll be able to get it at the end of the book. You know exactly what to do and how to do it, and it'll plant some seeds of what you can do from a legacy standpoint as when well. When people come up to you and say, Garrett, why are you a fan of life insurance? Because I've always heard, and Dave Ramsey has said that life insurance is the worst place to put your money. What's your what's your two-minute response to that? I mean, I wrote a chapter on the book, and I think Dave Ramsey's right that most people, the way they fund their life insurance and which company they pick and the type of insurance that they use, yeah, like I'm not a huge fan of most variable universal life or universal life or indexed universal life. And when Dave looks out there, that's what you see pitched most of the time. You see it pitched in a place that it's not funded that well either. So I think that he's right. And he's only looking at expense. And for most of his crowd, they're spending more than they make. So if they try to go overfund an insurance policy while well, they have 18% interest rate credit cards, I think Dave has it right. Just pay off the credit card. Right. I think that he's looking at the masses out there, which 90% of people don't design it the way you or I would want people to have it designed. And so... That's why they're hearing the advice from him. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see, like, because I've seen there's this guy, the white coat investor, who is who has a blog posted about me before, and I was supposed to debate with, who's very anti life insurance, and the numbers he quotes that happen in the industry is just different than what I've seen because we've educated clients when I sold insurance from '98 to 2005, and any of our licensees that we give content to that that does insurance. I mean, we just see such a high retention rate. They're educated. And, you know, I just posted something recently on social media saying, what advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? And three of the posts were like, I just say go full on and 
max, max funding your insurance plan. That's been the one thing that I can always count on at work. So I think that there's people leery because of commission structure. There's people leery because there's so many different types of policies and there's people that have oversold something or they're under, they don't have the right knowledge for it. But I mean, look, the wealthy, the wealthy have used it forever. I don't think that, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey's right. giving advice for people that are going to have an estate tax problem. Rebecca Walser, episode eight. Uh, Rebecca, so in my book, I actually talk about the importance of control. And I think control is one of the things that most people freely give up unknowingly. And, and it really, if you look at the, the wealthy people in this country, like they understand they're obsessed with maintaining and keeping full control, whether it's future tax stuff or, and, and maybe it's just liquidity and access to capital. I want to touch on what your thoughts when you think of control and like, because I know that's a really big theme you personally, what you write about. And so, yeah, what's your thoughts on control and money? Well, I think that's the the biggest problem that's coming is is the lack of control of wealth um, that we, we will have in America. Um, you know, it, it is just starkly um, glaring at me, blindingly glaring is the word, of, of how much wealth people are willing to build in these pre-tax buckets, you know, and... Um, Dish, if you just look at the bucket of pre-tax, we, we had the last numbers we've had on it is total government pensions, federal, state, and local. So all government pensions, all IRAs, all 401ks and all of its cousins, 403b, 457, 409a, all pre-tax wealth and any capacity possible, including government-run pension funds and you know co- corporate pensions, we are at about as of 2016, we are at about uh, 26 trillion dollars of all pre-tax wealth, mm. and that has taken us really 30 years to get to because the pre-tax wealth bucket didn't really exist before, if, ex- excluding pensions. But if you look at the 401k, it was written into the Revenue Act in 1978 and didn't really come into prominence and use until. 1981. So this has all been accumulated over really the last 30 years, excluding the pensions, which is a huge part of it. But when you think about it, I'm writing the book, you know, I was like, why, why did, who thought this was a good idea? And I went back to see, was there any research done? Was there any white paper? Was MIT, was Wharton, was anybody deciding or looking at whether or not this was going to actually be a great plan for America? Because we are, you know, we aren't the the wealthiest per capita, but we, we have the most, in my opinion, opportunity to take somebody from a nothing to an everything depending on what they decide to do with their life, right? So we have this wealth of opportunity in this country. And did anybody look to see if this is the way we should actually retire? And of course, it happened by accident. The 401k was really written as a tax dodge for highly compensated executives. And it was rolled out as a retirement plan for all by accident. It really happened by accident. So when something happens by accident, nobody analyzes what the actual ramifications or the mathematical calculations are going to equate to. And so we've had no such analysis. And if you look back in the 80s, because it seems so obvious now that it's such a bad idea. But if you look back at the 80s and you put yourself back in time, like back to the future, like, you know, just pretend you could go back down like Marty McFly, you know, and see what was going on then, what you see is, okay, the baby boomers were only 16 years old to 34 years old in 1981. The day Ronald Reagan was inaugurated in January of 81, we didn't have a debt problem. We had $980 billion of debt. 
It took all the way till October of 81 to get us to a trillion dollars of debt during Ronald Reagan's first term in office. We didn't have a debt problem in the 80s. So there was no massive concern about the amount of debt. And there were the, no one who was thinking about the boomers retiring in mass some 30 years later. So now, though, you fast forward and Ronald Reagan was elected and um, he did institute a major sea change in tax policy that went into effect in 1987. So literally last year, 2017, we've been 30 years into this tax policy and um, we did not reduce our spending. In fact, we increased our spending, but we reduced our taxable you know, revenue. So what you have after 30 years of low taxation, and when I say low taxation, what I'm saying is Ronald Reagan's tax code that has pretty much lived through these last 30 years took us to a level so low that we hadn't had that level since the 1930s. So what happened? What enabled that? Well, we came off the gold standard under Nixon. So now we could basically use debt and we use debt freely. And now 30 years later, after low tax rates rates for 30 years, we've done a really big disservice to America because we've given America service levels from the government, military levels from the government, social programs from the government, supported with debt, not supported with tax revenue. And so now we think, because we've lived through these last 30 years of low tax policy, that this is normal, that normal tax rates are low, and yet we can spend all the money in the world. And we are spending all, we're spending 100 billion dollars a month more than we're taking in, literally. And so we have become addicted to low tax and high spend. But now the can is going to stop because the cliff is ending and the can is about to go over the cliff. And that's where we are now, Caleb. We are on the verge of the largest transfer from worker to recipient in the history of time. We have never had anything like this before. And with the debt at $21.5 trillion, this is something that we cannot happen without massive tax cut, uh, tax increases and massive benefit cuts. It is going to be one of the ugliest fiscal times in the history of our country, in the history of the world, really. And it's very scary. Kim Butler, episode three. The, the fifth, the fifth principle is control. And I, I pretty, that's pretty much the thesis of what I wrote about is the power of control. So I'm curious on how you explain um, control. Well, it, it's something that, again, the typical financial world has just completely taken away from us. And I would add the government in there as well. So if you look at the, the typical products that are out there, 401ks remove control, 15-year mortgages remove control, 403bs, IRAs remove control, 529 plans remove control. And a lot of products remove control too. The stock market removes control from our hands. And so I'm encouraging people to take that control back and to be working with investments that they control. And a lot of times it's not the investment itself, but literally the paperwork. So as an example, if you're wanting to invest in say mutual funds, they're not my favorite, but let's say that those are where you are right now. Well, the way that you, and I'm not talking in an IRA, just regular after-tax mutual funds. A way that you can get control back of those, and I'm going to say you can't get it all back, which is part of the problem, but one of the strategies to differentiate the difference between a product that you buy and a strategy is something that you do, one of the strategies that is a really big part 
of getting control back is to not reinvest your dividends and capital gains. That's as simple as a check on the box of don't reinvest or Hmm. pay in cash is often how it's worded. And that puts control back on the side of the client, at least a little bit of control. And so I'm always just encouraging clients to look for areas that they can control and stay away from areas that they cannot control. Again, the examples that I gave, when you put extra money into a mortgage, you lost control of that money. When you put money in a 401k plan, you lost control of that money. Yes, I know you can pick your funds inside, but you do not have control of that. The government Mm -hmm. has control of that asset. So it's so important that we have control of our money and not give it up to other people and entities. Okay, the sixth one is move. You referenced this when you talked about flow and to the average person, these look like the same thing. Yes. So they're different in that move or movement of money implies the verb through. So to pick up on the 401ks and the prepaying of mortgages, we tend to put our money to things. And I'm encouraging people to put their money through things. You cannot put your money through 401ks and prepaid mortgages. You can put your money through life insurance and real estate. And so what that means is that the dollars can go in and come back out the other side. And you're right, it is very very similar to flow, but flow is differentiated because that's money out and money in, which is like at the beginning and the end, if you will. Move is through, which is in the middle. And that ability to move money through things is super, super important. And money moving through does not always happen on the in and the out. So you might have a case where you've got both flow and movement in the same asset, money in, money through, money out, but you might also have a case where you don't. And so I just felt it was important to differentiate those two. Plus... When you combine the sixth principle and the seventh one, which I'll just roll on into if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because they really go together. The ability for money to multiply, which means that the dollar is moving through an asset in order to get the advantage of that asset and, which is the title of your book, right? The and (laughs) asset. Yeah, yeah. The dollar needs to move through the asset and then move on into another asset to get the advantage of that asset also, where you can truly get your classic, you know, $1 is doing two things or, you know, the kill two birds with one stone idea. So because money is moving, it can multiply. Money multiplies when it moves. And when it doesn't move, it doesn't multiply. And uh, Lisa Satsovich has a great line. She says, I don't want my money stuck in a pond. I want it flowing like a river. And I think that's a great analogy, isn't it? Because I love that. If you think about water in a pond, it's stagnant, it's glimy, it's, you know, gross, it's not healthy water often. And yet Mm -hmm. money in a river, sorry, I meant water in a pond. Um, Water in a river is moving, healthy, vibrant, oxygenated water and money is the same thing when money is stuck it has all of the bad things of a pond and when money is moving it has all the good things of a river patrick donahoe episode two 
You talk in your book, the difference between saving and investing. Why don't you break down for the listener what the difference is? Because it, it sounds obvious, but you're right. Most people put their most precious dollars and invest it when they really think they're actually saving it. You know, and I would say, you know, investing, I had toyed around with the idea of, of saying gambling, right? Because that's what it truly is. I don't think, I don't think people invest. Mm-hmm. If you really look at the def, you know, that true definition and where the word came from, right? It's, it's not what it is defined, what it's defined as today, right? So I would say it's, it's gambling. And basically, it's something for nothing, right? You put your money into something and, you know, you just hope it grows, but you have no idea how it's going to provide value to somebody else to which it's going to actually grow. Some people do. And that's where I, I differentiate between, you know, like the stock market and Wall Street, okay? The stock market, I would say there are lots of opportunities there for people that are educated, understand valuations, understand, you know, the different strategies that, that exist. I think that's viable. But Wall Street is essentially more or less saying, give me your money and I'll, I'll, I'll grow it for you. Just trust me. That, that's where I, you know, look at the, the, the passive type of investing in something that, you know, you don't, you don't control and you don't know whether it's going to go up or down. It's all based on the principle of hope. And I think that's what that definition of uh, investing is. Uh, saving is actually putting money into something that you're not going to lose, right? And uh, money that hopefully earns some interest, but it, it has that principle, whether it's a contract or whether uh, there's insurance that protects it. That's, you know, that's essentially what, uh, what savings is. Jason Lowe, episode 19. What is the infinite banking concept? What is becoming your own banker? Go. The essence of that uh, concept is to recapture the interest that you're paying to banks, uh, to finance companies, for all of the things that you need throughout your lifetime. Anything that you're going to spend money on throughout your lifetime, if you're not implementing the process of becoming your own banker and you're not participating in that, then what you're doing is you are permanently transferring all that money away from your household, from your business, and the transfer is permanent. Every dollar that you earn that flows through the books of someone else's bank, so for everybody who's W-2, T-4, uh, business owner, you're storing money in someone else's bank. And then when you need to access it, you spend it to take care of all of your financial obligations, whatever they may be, but you can't use that money ever again. It's gone. And where does it end up? Right back in the banking system. And so someone else today is profiting over the use and liquidity, over the motion of your money. And what R. Nelson Nash, the late R. Nelson Nash, the developer, the founder, the pioneer of this process, he said all the time, someone has to perform the banking function in your life and it should be you. And then he went on to say, someone is going to perform that function and it should be you. So presently, the question to ask yourself, the real question is who is the banker in your life today? If it isn't you, it can be. And implementing this process puts you in the driver's seat. It brings the banking function back to the individual you and me level, Caleb, which is where that function should be held. And so if you're, here's what clients tell us they feel. When they talk to us and they learn about this, this concept, they feel a sense of hope. They feel a sense of certainty. They feel like the stress and the pressure and the anxiety around that money can bring to people. They feel that fade away. Mm -hmm. Why is that? We're not talking about subjecting money to the risk of loss. We're talking about taking control of a function that you're already very familiar with, banking. But the difference is you control it. 
And when you control that function, you will accumulate wealth and you will create indestructible wealth. Isn't that good? It's so good. That's so good. So when someone, when, what was the aha moment for you when you were like, you went to this conference back in 2008, you had to trust, but verify what was like the aha moment for you? Oh goodness. All the stories that I heard. So people sharing stories about, Hey, you know, I, I took this, uh, this mortgage that I had this 30 year fixed mortgage that I had on my property and I implemented this process and I got rid of the banker in six years. And now all the payments that I would have sent to the commercial bank are now coming back to my family. Hmm. That's probably something I want to learn a little bit more about. That sounds interesting. Uh, all the stories about people who, um, shared about their clients who had consumer credit, like credit card balances, personal lines of credit, um, all of these things where you had to jump through lengthy, nosy credit applications to access the money in the first place. Then the repayment schedule, you don't control that. Someone else does. The interest rate, you don't control that either. Someone else does. And by the time you're done paying it, when you're about 147 years old, you've transferred (laughs) all the money away from you. So what got me excited, Caleb, was the, the, the truth that you can reverse the flow. You can have money coming back to you and you can keep it in your family. Isn't that good? That's so good. And one of the things is like, can you not save more? Can you not save more if you control all functions? If you are, of course. And that's one of the big things. That was a big aha moment for me is like, okay, if you're, if you're controlling, if you're including owning the system, like that is truly good because now you're not only profiting, but your need for capital is, is incredible. It's a, it's a massive need. So why isn't anyone talking about your need for paying money, like using money? No one's talking about that. Nobody talks about capital accumulation, Caleb. Right. Everybody talks about all of the things that if you were to take everyone and put them around a water cooler and you started to have a financial conversation, A, it's going to quickly go to rates. Rate of return. You got it. And B, it's quickly going to go to anything that involves transferring the money away from you. Hey, you should put money into this stock. Well, that means you need to hand control over your money to someone else who thinks they can do better with it than you can. Hey, you should put your money into this investment, whatever that may be. This concept of becoming your own banker has absolutely nothing to do with investments of any sort. It's all about how you finance the things in your life, which can certainly include investments, but this has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. rates of return, has nothing to do with investments of any kind. This is all about who the banker is in your life today. How much of the banking function do you control as it relates to your needs? That's it. Peter Jepson, episode 49. So, okay, so let's go on to the, the living, living benefits. benefits. Yeah, thank you, by the way. To think that you have some money and anytime you want to, you can go get it. Yeah. So let's suppose you have 27 grand in cash values. Yep. You can get 100% of your 27 grand. Now, put that a contrast to a 401k, 27 grand, or in an IRA. You'll never get more than 30 cents out of, of, of the 27 grand out of a 401k or an IRA. 30 cents. Yes. 30, 30 cents on the that. dollar, not 27,000, not, not 100 cents on the dollar. I'm saying 20, 30 cents on the dollar. So, in another way to say that is, so in other accounts, you're not able to, like you, if you have $100,000 in quote unquote your 401k, that's not all your money. You can't get a hundred thousand because of fees, taxes, even right, right. it's hard It'll to melt. even access your money. Yes. It'll melt down. But if you have if you have a hundred thousand dollars in your cash value, you can access that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's number one. But you want to know my number two favorite? Of course, of course. You can you can access that capital without 
punishing that what that 100,000 could grow the rest of your life. Let it earn. Because here's the deal. People are disrespecting the value of their money every day. If, if Peter, I take $100,000 out of my 401k or life insurance or whatever, I'm disrespecting what that dollar could have earned the rest of my life. That could have grown to over a million dollars. And by me taking out that money, I'm disrespecting what Albert Einstein said. What did you say? The eighth wonder is ge- geographical numbers. Geometric. Yeah, geometric. Like yeah. that's powerful. So it, it, we ought to say that one more time. Two plus two plus two plus two plus two. That's five of them equals 10. But two times two times two times two times two. That's five more twos multiplied is 32, not 10. And so when you have cash of 27 grand in this example, and you can then get that 27 and use it, and it doesn't impede its growth, you have really truly multiplied your money. Yeah, yeah. And and so I like to think when you can get $1 to do five things at the same time, that's a multiplier. <laughs> and and by the way, for those of you that know me or have worked with our company, I draw we have a we draw a stick figure, we take a dollar and we draw multiple lines and we're giving that dollar four, five, six, seven jobs. And, that, and my, my question that I ask people is, what's the value if I can show you how to use your dollar in seven ways instead of just one? And that's exactly why I'm a huge fan of life insurance. Ryan Bloom, episode 10. I learned so much reading your book because I always, a lot of people look at life insurance as just something as an expense, like to protect you while you're making income and then you don't need it. And then I, I wrote my book on the and asset, this idea of helping people save their money in a place, get uninterrupted compound growth, but be able to use it for starting their business, buying, you know, investing and buying cars, paying off debt. And then I, I never really, I didn't really elaborate on how this could be used for income. And all you focused on was income. Like, you're you and, cash flow, right? Or, yeah, yeah, you're right. Cash flow. And, <laughs> uh, and you're right. It's re it's retraining how we think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so so now but you're ta- you wrote this book for the distribution. You're, and you're what you're saying is how life insurance when set up and used properly is the greatest place to get cash flow from in retirement because of the tax exemptions, because you're never going to lose money, because you get your asset continues to grow. Can you unpack all that? It's, it's, it's a, there's a lot there, but yeah. so it, it's re- again, it's really simple. This whole idea is so simple. It's about compound interest. No, nope, it's about uninterrupted compound interest. And it's about using the 105 year old tax code to spend the uninterrupted compound interest. Now that sounds oxymoronic. How can you spend something that's uninterrupted? Well, here's how you do it. And you do it with the internal revenue code you borrow against it. See, because the 105-year-old tax code says that borrowed proceeds never hit the income tax return. I mean, think about it. Last time, you know, one of one of the listeners here today either borrowed money to buy a car or borrow or borrowed money to buy their home, did you have to show the proceeds of that loan on your income tax return as income? The answer is no. So, now it, it it's a it can happen with any asset, Caleb. Except at retirement, the, the, you know, the financial institution is a little funny about this. If you borrow money from them, they, they want it back with interest. Well, if you're in retirement, how can you borrow money that you can't repay? I mean, because after all, 
any bar any money you're going to borrow to live on in retirement you're is going to is going to be spent and therefore you can't pay it back so you have to find an asset where the company does not care whether you pay back the loan or not during your lifetime well enter life insurance because in essence you you are borrowing money from the life insurance company it's collateralized by your cash value or what would be known as the equity of your contract. But in all, in all honesty, the life insurance company is merely sending you premature distributions of your death benefit. Now you're not dead. So it has to be a loan. And because it's a loan, it doesn't show up in the income tax return. And the, the life insurance company is merely reducing your death benefit every year by the amount of loans you have outstanding. They're happy. They've got a perfect loan situation and you're off the radar screen of the IRS. Literally, you're retired based based off the proceeds to your dead self. So what you're saying is if if someone at retirement, and I don't love using that word retirement, but someone um, is getting ready to take cash flow and all their assets are are in these special type of life insurance contracts and they, instead of taking that money out, they're borrowing against it and their money's continuing to get that beautiful word uninterrupted compound growth while their death benefit is continuing to grow. They're able to take out income, cash flow, (laughs) cash flow today. And then eventually they're going to die and their death benefit is just going to be reduced by the, the cash flow that they took uh, in retirement. Let me give you a quick story. It happened this week. It was another financial advisor who called me and he said, Brian, I'm down here at Disney World with my family and I'm agonizing over all the calculations I'm going through, whether I should buy into the Disney Vacation Club or not for my family. And I said, John, stop. Stop all the calculations. Listen, I know you and your wife both have plenty of life insurance because you're utilizing the concepts that, that we all talk about. And someday you're going to retire against the death benefits of these life insurance policies. I said, listen, take, take this Disney Vacation Club and borrow money from your wife's death benefit. I said, John, who's going to die first, you or your wife? She, he goes, well, I am. And I said, so who's going to get your wife's death benefit? Certainly you're not. He says, well, the kids. I said, right. So would you rather enjoy... Would you rather see them enjoy her death benefits now while you guys can go to Disney whenever you want? Or would you rather have your kids enjoy those death benefits sometime in the future when both of you are gone? I said, you can buy into Disney Vacation Club for free. Yeah, It's just being paid for with your wife's death benefits. It's your kid's money. You're doing this for your kids. You're doing this for the enjoyment of your family. You're doing this for memories. Why are you agonizing whether this is a, a good return on your money or not. Stop. Just buy it. Reg Helema, episode 12. What it took for me was being diagnosed with cancer to wake me up to that. So be it. I don't want it to happen to other people that they have to have that type of diagnosis. I want people to hear how valuable and to learn from what I've learned. Because where I'm at right now, I'm in so much more of a peace, so much more 
confident of what my purpose is in life and what is valuable in life. And it gives me the motivation to get up every morning, whether I'm feeling bad or not, to get up every morning and do the best I can because I don't know how much time I'm going to have left, but I want to invest in things that really matter, not things that are a vapor that's going to be gone tomorrow. You know, eternal things that are going to have long lasting benefits. And what you're able to do, what we worked out with my policy has eternal consequences. It's not a spiritually eternal consequence or benefit. It's a benefit that's going to go from generation to generation financially right. that's going to provide for my family and for my children and for my children's children, even though I may not get to see them. I won't get to see them. I'm pretty sure that I, in heaven, I don't know if I <laughs> get a chance to see them or not. But regardless of that, that's the most important thing to me. So I want to help people from a spiritual perspective, mm -hmm. from an intentional perspective, and to help people to understand what you and I have learned and what I'm now experiencing based upon what we put in place without knowing what the future is going to hold. Right. But it provides living benefits as well as provides for tragic potential events in the future. Right. At the same time. Wow, I just want to thank you so much for listening to this full episode. Um, so many nuggets. I, I'm just, again, filled with gratitude, just thinking about all the people that have poured in my life. And, and quite frankly, there's there's the logical side, knowing that you can give your dollar multiple jobs, and it, that's amazing in, in itself. But then when you are friends with all these people, like everyone that I've interviewed on here were friends slash mentors of mine. And I like firsthand saw how they use these strategies and then how their clients have used this. My hope is that in this show, The Better Wealth, it, and by the way, we do more than just the strategy. It's all about intentional living your life. And this is just a great foundation to have at your life. And whether you're nearing retirement, whether you're already in retirement, this could be an asset class to help you maximize your cash flow. But if you're just getting started, have a ton of debt, this may be a strategy that you could utilize along with paying debt. Your family, this could be an amazing place to save money and, and do things like family vacations or buy things like cars. If you're a business owner or an investor, this could be an amazing asset class to invest in the things that you uh, truly care about. I, I mean, the concept of ROR, and I've had episodes on this, I'm very passionate about this concept of return on result. Make sure that whatever you're doing with your time your talents, your money, your abilities are backed up with this concept of getting results in your life. And um, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing this episode. Thank you for being an advocate for what we're doing. Um, you can learn more about us at betterwealth.com. You can get my book at betterwealth.com. And we would love to hear from you. So you can reach out to us. You can reach out to me personally at Caleb at betterwealth.com. And uh, let me know what your thoughts are on this episode. And if this is the first one that you've heard and you have questions, please reach out. Um, I love answering questions around the strategy that has really put me on the map. Thank you. Take care. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.